The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Experience the difference. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. eat better, get healthy, and help animals. Welcome to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran. An estimated 52 million Americans had as their New Year's resolution this year, lose weight. I remember making those resolutions, but the last time I did Ronald Reagan was in the White House, and I had a perm. (laughs) After struggling since childhood, I let go of 60 pounds for the last time. For me, the winning combination was 12-step recovery, going vegan, and eating three meals a day. But other people, other vegans, have also done this, and their specifics are, well, theirs. Three of them join me on today's program. Welcome back. After a couple of weeks of hiatus for Unity Online Radio, I am your host, Victoria Moran. So happy that you're here. And I do wish you the best and brightest and most hope-filled 2021 imaginable. And if you are a brand new 2021 listener, I do invite you to check out my website, MainStreetVegan.net, where you can check out our vegan lifestyle coach training program, Main Street Vegan Academy, and Also subscribe to our newsletter and blog. Uh, An alternative way to subscribe is simply to text the word vegan to 55444. That is vegan to 55444 and that will get us connected. So after the break, you'll be meeting a graduate coach of Main Street Vegan Academy, Phil DeGene, and also the author of From Donuts to Potatoes, Esther Lebeck Leverage. They've both lost over 100 pounds apiece, as has my first segment guest, Chuck Carroll. Now, if you keep up with the health side of the plant-based movement, you know Chuck already. He's the host of the Exam Room podcast for Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine. But Once upon a time, Chuck Carroll weighed 420 pounds, and he's just over 5 feet 6 inches tall. His 10,000-calorie daily diet was sending him to an early grave. But instead of going 6 feet under, he is now living proof that change is possible after losing an astounding 280 pounds 
and keeping it off for more than 11 years. Welcome, Chuck. Hey, thank you so very much for having me. Happy New Year. Well, Happy New Year to you. It is absolutely thrilling to be on this side of the microphone. You were gracious enough to have me as your guest on the Exam Room podcast. You have a lot of faithful listeners. I got so much good feedback after that. So thank you very much. Oh, thank you so very much for coming on. I loved having you on. Well, cool. We'll just have to do it again one of these days. So let us jump right in to the veggie meat of the matter. What was your diet like growing up? Oh, my goodness gracious. It was atrocious. I mean, it was the standard American diet on steroids. Um, I grew up, my brother and I, uh, single parent household. My mother was working, so not a whole heck of a lot of time for her to cook healthy food in the kitchen. And at that point in her life, I'm not even sure that she knew what healthy food was. So um, it was a lot of trips through the drive through at night and being in elementary school, going through the drive through at Burger King and already getting the king size value meals, you know, the, the double cheeseburgers, the super large fries and super big drinks. And that would be dinner after having gone to our grandma's house earlier in the day, right after school, where she would cook us lunch and a little bit in between lunch and dinner, uh, another huge snack. But everything she cooked was made with bacon grease. She kept it in a jar on top of the stove, and it didn't matter what she was making. Somehow or another, bacon grease found its way in there. So um, you start with those eating habits early on in life, and um, the weight really – it. Even though you're a kid and even though you're relatively active, I mean, the pounds just poured on and I was well over 100 pounds by the time I was in second or third grade at the absolute latest. Bless your heart. So you got up to 10,000 calories a day. How, did, were you aware of that? Were you counting calories as it were? No, no, I, I didn't start counting calories until um, after I had kind of lost a lot of the weight. And then I was like, man, let's just tally all of this up. And when I did, my jaw just kind of hit the floor because over time, the diet just got worse and worse. As I got older, my appetite grew bigger and bigger and bigger. And eventually I wound up becoming fully blown addicted to fast food. Um, and it, it could not go a day without going through the drive through at Taco Bell. And to give you an idea of how bad this was, two things. One, I was actually working at a more authentic Mexican restaurant at the time and had plentiful access to all the burritos and tacos I could possibly ever want. But there was something about Taco Bell that called to me in the night. And I remember specifically one time it had gotten so bad. I had left the Mexican restaurant and was working in radio already at that point, appropriately at a radio station here in Washington, D.C., WBIG, big 100.3. <laughs> and I was actually being paid to lose weight. I was endorsing something called the cookie diet, but I was so woefully addicted to fast food that after the second day, my brain was just spazzing out because I wasn't getting this. And I jumped up and I just, boom, I was so angry that I put my fist through a wall and then I pulled it out of the drywall and I put it through a door because I wasn't getting my fix. And so in the middle of the night, I snuck out and I went to the 24 hour drive through. I ordered my $20 worth of food 
and I came home, snuck back in the back door, sat down and kind of in the dark, just ate every little bite of that and actually started to cry because it was at that point after all of those years of gorging daily that I realized that I wasn't just hungry. I had a serious problem on my hands. I was addicted to food. I completely relate. And I know that a lot of people who have never had the experience don't know what that is. And there are so many people that I know who have just decided, you know what, I'm just not going to do this weight losing thing anymore. It's just ridiculous. I'm going to accept myself and live my life. And, And that's so lovely. But for me, I remember just praying in desperation shortly before my recovery started. God, I don't care if I'm ever thin, just make me free. And addicts understand that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and, and I mean that that's uh, I mean that's just so beautifully and eloquently put. You know, I, being bound by the chains of fat and sugar and salt is really no different to me than being bound by the chains of alcohol or tobacco or narcotics or gambling, whatever the vice may be, it has its hooks in you. And so when you see somebody who is that large, who is that overweight, they really do have a problem in the same way that a drug addict has a problem. But the difference is they have no possible way of hiding their problem. They quite literally wear it on their sleeve. Mm. And so then because a lot of people don't understand that this is a true addiction and such a, the, the, the gravity of this problem, the magnitude of it, you get ridiculed and you get made fun of and already your self-esteem as that large person is shot. But now you're, you're facing more ridicule because people just don't understand and they're cruel and it compounds the issue and it just drives you even deeper into that fast food abyss. Mm. So you also thought, Chuck, that for some reason you had to be a large person, that that was sort of your destiny. Tell us about that. Well, uh, my my father was, was large. Uh, my brother was large. My grandmother was large. I mean, obesity kind of runs in the family. And I also felt for my career that I needed to be large. Because I was working at Big 100.3 and I was just getting started on the radio and had adopted this persona, Big Chuck. And so I thought, of course, I needed to be this big guy. If I slimmed down, if I lost all of this weight, well, I would be out of a job. So I played up that personality and I used that to justify my trips through the drive-through. I used that to justify drinking extra beer and putting on extra calories and my ever-expanding waste. That was one of the things that I just told myself to kind of calm my own fears that something wasn't right, that my health wasn't in check. But I honestly, in my heart of hearts, believe that we play mind games with ourselves to justify our own unhealthy behaviors. We often can be the first person to recognize that there's a problem, but we become so good at fooling ourselves about that, that we, we use these things like I need to be big to be big Chuck for my career to continue down that unhealthy path. 
I, I can't believe how much I keep relating to you, Chuck, because for me, it was I had to keep overeating to be a writer because writers are all addicted to something. And I remember seeing a movie when I was like 19 about the playwright Lillian Hellman. And in one scene, she was chain smoking, drinking booze from the bottle, eating a hero sandwich and still typing. And I thought, see, <laughs> it is inevitable. But you know what happens? This takes a big emotional toll, too. How, how did that play out for you? Well, so as much as you try to convince yourself, you can't pull the wool completely over your eyes. And, and you know that something's wrong. And because of that, your self-esteem is, is, is shot. And you see your friends, you see your loved ones, and they're not going through the same struggles that you are. So you think that something's wrong with you and you get these sharp criticisms. And yeah, even being big Chuck on the radio, as much as I loved performing, as much as I loved getting my big break, I hated the fact at the same time that I had to be big Chuck in order to get it. And so your self-esteem, like I said, is shot. But because it's shot, you start making sacrifices and justifying other things because of that. Prime example, I was dating uh, a girl who was not overweight, did not have a, a weight issue whatsoever. And she and I, I thought, were very much in love. I mean, I was beyond smitten with her. And the problem was she begged me on almost a daily basis not to tell our mutual friends, not to tell my family, not to tell anybody that we were in a relationship. She didn't even tell her own friends or her own family about it. It took months before she even told her best friend that she and I were dating. And so I knew that she was ashamed to be with somebody who at that point was close to 400 pounds. She I guess, I don't know if she was just attracted to the celebrity, but ashamed because I was so overweight. I don't know what the case was, but every single day, it was like being stabbed in the heart again and again and again. And so you wonder, why am I not good enough? Why am I not good enough? And because you have these ill feelings, the feelings of depression and sadness, you want to ease that pain. And one of the ways that, that people who are overweight and struggle with their weight, they ease that pain by going right back to those unhealthy habits. So again, that drove me right back to the drive-through, perhaps more than anything else at that point was just trying to mask that pain because that just sucked. Oh, it, it just sounds awful. Chuck, my heart goes out low these many years later. So what happened? What made you decide that you were going to live an entirely different way? I mean, I got to tell you, it was a culmination of things. And I think that that's kind of how it is for a lot of people. A lot of, if you haven't been through a transition, you, it's easy to think that there's this one defining moment that, that <laughs> suddenly it hits you and you're like, ah, I have to change. But no, I mean, there was just a buildup of so many of these things over so many years. You know, I had just taken a cross country flight to San Francisco where, um, I hadn't flown in so many years and I knew fitting into the seat was going to be a struggle. And I felt like everybody on that plane was watching me when I boarded and just praying that I wasn't going to sit next to them. And so I literally just shuffled in and out of 
every row because my waist was too wide to fit down the aisle and getting to the very back of the plane and sitting down, trying to be by myself and then having to get back up and ask for a seatbelt extender and then walk all the way back to the end of the plane again with everybody looking at you with the seatbelt extender in hand in this time so we could take off. So that was another big factor. The fact that my friends then had become so concerned by my weight that they tried to organize an intervention and that infuriated me. I knew that I had a problem. Who are they to tell me that I had a problem? No. So I was so angry with them. I cut them out of my life, felt really horribly about that. Didn't want to continue down that road. So that was another huge factor. And the fact that I couldn't walk more than 10 steps at this point without my chest beginning to tighten and the color draining from my face and just beginning to sweat so profusely and knowing that my grandfather died from multiple heart attacks before I was even born and knowing that my father now was beginning to experience heart issues. I didn't think I was going to live to see 30. So that then was like, I have to change. And I knew nothing about a plant-based diet. So when I eventually did reach that point where it did change have to occur, I opted for weight loss surgery because I knew nothing else. But I did know that with weight loss surgery, just like every other diet, the cookie diet, Weight Watchers, whatever the case may be, it will be a short-term solution. But I said to myself at this point, at least I can go to my grave with my head held high saying, I tried everything, everything. But thank and, God I finally <laughs> discovered plant-based nutrition. And how did that happen? Because I've heard from people who have had weight loss surgery that they have some some struggles with eating plant-based because one, one of the great selling points for plant-based for people who haven't had weight loss surgery is you get to eat more bulk, but with weight loss surgery, that's not what you're going for. So how does it work? Well, for me, uh, I can't speak for everybody, but I assume that this is the case. I mean, the stomach is very much an elastic organ. Okay. So it's like a balloon. Uh, you can shrink it down, you can staple it off, you make it the size of a thumb, but eventually that thumb is going to blow back up like a balloon. It's going to expand. And eventually you're going to get pretty normal sized stomach again, especially as time wears on. And so that's when you can start reintroducing, you know, greater and greater quantities of food. Um, so that was never really an issue uh, for me, um, especially um, because I adopted a plant-based diet a number of years after I had already had the procedure. Um, but the other people who reach out to me and are wondering about this because it's so popular now, weight loss surgery, millions of people get it every single year. And now with the popularity of plant-based diets being what it is, more and more people are exploring that. And I just, I tell them exactly what I'm telling you now is like, look, you know, initially there may be a little bit of discomfort, just like there can be with anybody because your microbiome is going to change. You may feel a little bit bloated, but that will eventually subside when your microbiome, I get nerdy with them and have some fun and that gets them all excited. But anyway, but eventually things kind of settle themselves out and you're good to go. And you're more or less like everybody else at that point. So how did you discover plant-based eating? Not everybody, there are still people who are like you who'd never heard of it. <laughs> and once you did, how did you change how you ate? 
I was lucky enough to get this surge of confidence after I had lost a lot of weight and got the chance to ask myself, well, what do I want to be when I grow up? Well, mind you, I was 27 at that point, but um, I felt like I had my whole life ahead of me uh, for the first time at 27. And I've always loved sports. So I started my own sports media company and, uh, through a long and winding road of covering the NFL and then, uh, news, and then, uh, eventually began covering professional wrestling of all things, interviewed a plant-based wrestler by the name of Austin Aries. Oh, I love him. He's been on the show a couple of times. Austin is the man. And He's so great. he released a book, uh, outlining his plant-based journey, um, and how that really catapulted him to the top of the professional wrestling game and encouraged me to it, just give it a try. Gave me that list of documentaries to watch, What the Health, Forks Over Knives, all of that good stuff. So I had a movie afternoon and was like, man, <laughs> this is for me. I had that epiphany like so many others had. And I made up my mind then and there that this is what I'm going to do because at that point I was already, you know, coined the weight loss champion by an NFL player. I was using that moniker and I knew that this was going to be my ticket to making sure that that weight never came back on because until that point I was always scared that it was going to come back. And so through Austin's encouragement and more education, I made that change. And my wife, who initially was like, you're already the healthiest eater I know. Why do you want to go vegan? I had her watch What the Health, and she was like, oh, my God, honey, I have a great idea. Why don't we go vegan? So we went, we, we ditched meat and dairy together and uh, and have been doing that for, for so long now and have just been so blown away by the changes that I've experienced um, that, uh, you know, I, I pitched the idea of doing the exam room with the physician's committee and have discovered really that this weight loss journey is now about way more than just what the number says on the scale. Now it's about lowering the risk of cancer that runs in my family, Alzheimer's, which runs in my family, heart disease, which runs rampant in the family and being able to really decrease the risk of all of those diseases as well as keep my weight down. I mean, this has just been the ticket of all tickets to me. Oh, that's beautiful. So tell us about the exam room podcast for anybody that hasn't yet uh, become a listener. They, they will now. This is, this is my pride and joy. I started this, I was doing hard news uh, for a number of years. Matter of fact, I was anchoring for NBC news radio and I just got tired of talking about death and destruction every day. And I knew that I wanted to do something more positive. And so I had become familiar with the Physicians Committee uh, a couple of years earlier through a um, public service campaign that uh, that I did with an NFL player by the name of Adam Carricker. And so I just reached back out and I said, hey, are you guys doing a show? I would love to bring my talents and my story to the Physicians Committee and really just bring a ton of knowledge to people. And so we, we started doing the exam room podcast. And through that, you know, getting the opportunity to speak with the likes of Dr. Neil Barnard and Dr. Uh, T. Colin Campbell, whom I know you had on recently, uh, Dr. Kim Williams, uh, Dr. Robert Osfeld, uh, Baxter Montgomery, I mean, so on and so on and so on. So many great people. Um, and then not just the dignitaries, but so many others who have 
really transformed their lives. It's just the privilege of a lifetime to be able to share this information on such a large platform um, for everybody. And I was really humbled when at uh, one point last year, we were actually the top ranked nutrition podcast in the US and we're still comfortably within the top 10. Um, but it's it's just so gratifying that this message is reaching and, and penetrating with so many people. Um, I just, I couldn't ask for more. Oh, that's absolutely beautiful. Now, I would imagine hanging around with Dr. Neil Barnard and PCRM people that you have uh, adopted some of the other reasons for being vegan. Oh, sure. Um, I mean, learning about the the animal ethics side of things has been really eye opening. You, you get a taste of that when you look at those initial documentaries. Um, but to really get the opportunity to be ingrained in it and sit down and speak with our team there who works on this and ending animal testing in labs and uh, ending uh, animal testing on uh, cosmetics. Um, just so many things and, and just the atrocities that, that occur because of, of these animal testings and how inefficient they are. The fact that it's required for medical testing and yet the results for animals do not translate 99% of the time over to humans. So why in the world are we possibly even doing that? It doesn't make any sense to me. And then you throw the environmental impact on top of things and you've got yourself the holy trinity of goodness, diet, animals and environment. And I mean, it's it's so cool to be able to touch on every single one of those on the show. Oh, I love that holy trinity of <laughs> of a great way to eat and a great way to live on this epiphany day. That's that's wonderful. So everybody, the exam room podcast, you've got that, pcrm.org. And if you want to find Chuck personally on Facebook, he is weight loss champion. And uh, he's also on Instagram and some other places. We will put all of that on the show notes at MainStreetVegan.net. So final minute, final last word. Just if you think that you can't do something, you absolutely can. I think a lot of people put their own obstacles in front of them. And it's easier to say that I can't do something and never try than to take that first step. But the coolest thing about taking that first step is that once you take that first step and you get the ball rolling, you can astonish yourself at how much power you actually have. You get the opportunity to prove to yourself that you may not be a superhero, but you're daggone sure still Superman or Superwoman. It is just amazing what you can do if you put your mind to it. And that includes losing the weight that you thought you never could. Never say never. Chuck Carroll, you are such an inspiration. You have such a great radio voice. You are a pleasure to interview and to listen to on the Exam Room podcast. And I'm just really, really happy to be in that uh, kind of small but growing fraternity with you of people who uh, aren't making that particular resolution anymore. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Thanks so much, Chuck. All the best. Everybody else, stay with us. We've got two more mega weight loser vegans. You're listening to Unity Online Radio. 
the voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Main Street Vegan program and welcome to the great year 2021. We've got our fingers crossed and our affirmations said on that. Want to let you know about something fun and delightful that I'm going to be doing on the 16th of January, and that is the Winter Wellness Retreat. This is using vegan Ayurveda, the wonderful healthcare system uh, and lifestyle system from ancient India to feel amazing and also to give yourself a lovely Saturday away from it all. We're going to do some yoga and some cooking and lots of learning about how you can feel utterly amazing through the winter and on into the spring. And if you'd like more information on that, you can go to tinyurl.com slash winter wellness retreat. And we'll put that in the show notes at MainStreetVegan.net as well. But if you want to remember that and check it out, it's tinyurl.com at slash winter wellness retreat. Okay, now we are going to have a fabulous three-way conversation, but hopefully mostly two ways between these guests because you've already heard from me and we want to hear from them. Esther Lebeck Loveridge has been following the McDougal program for maximum weight loss since July 13th, 2016, and has been successful in eliminating all medications in addition to losing over 130 pounds at 77 years of age. She says it is never too late to turn your life around and there's no guilt, only learning. And Esther is the author of an enchanting day book from donuts to potatoes. So this is definitely the time of year for a day book. So we're going to find out more about that from Esther. And while I am introducing my other guest this hour is Phil DeGene, a New York City school teacher, as well as producer and host of the public access TV program, Checkerboard Kids, that just celebrated 25 years on the air. He is also a proud vegan who has lost a little over 100 pounds, and he is a recent graduate coach of uh, Main Street Vegan Academy. So welcome, Esther. Welcome, Phil, and Happy New Year to both of you. Wow. Happy New Year to you, too, Victoria. Uh, uh, I tell you, long-time uh, listener, uh, first-time caller. <laughs> <laughs> So, That's Phil, great. since you spoke up first, let's get your your story first. Um, what what were you like, and what happened? Well, um, let's see. All my life, uh, you know, living in a sort of an impoverished thing in the Bronx, uh, born in Brooklyn, raised in the Bronx, and it was just it was just bad living. You know, uh, my parents got divorced. There was a lot of things I was eating over, and I tell you, it was a time that candy was like very accessible. Penny candy really meant penny candy back then in the days. And uh, I built my way up and you know what, I was doing a lot of trying to keep people away from me. Um, I got molested as a kid. Um, there was a lot of things going on there. I was bullied 
you know? Um, so there was all these reasons I was trying to keep people away. And one of the things I used was food to, to medicate myself, to, to sedate myself and to build these walls that it was building away to keep people away from me. Mm. So Esther, how about you? Give us a little history. Well, I loved hearing him talk about the penny candy. When I was in the seventh grade, I would go next door to our little corner grocery store and buy up all the candy that would fit into a cigar box <laughs> and, and take it to school and sell it for two cents each. So I was a, an early drug pusher, as it were. <laughs> and um, I, too, I didn't really battle with my, my weight, I guess, until maybe my senior year in high school. And it wasn't that bad then. But as uh, life went on and I got married and had two children, went through a divorce, and like Phil, I think it was kind of a way of protecting myself, too. I just, I didn't have uh, someone looking over my shoulder telling me what to eat anymore, and so I had free reign, and I took it. And I ballooned up eventually, after many more years, to uh, 282, so that was not a good place to be. And what changed? What what was the aha for you? The aha for me was I was uh, married to my husband, who I'm married to now, and we love to travel, and we've been all over the world. And I, even being heavy, I was able to do whatever I wanted to do within reason. And we had been to Ireland in May of 2016, and we were on our way home. And as I was toting my suitcase to get to the gate to uh, fly home, I got to the point where my knees and my feet hurt so much, I just couldn't even hardly take the next step. And in protest, I wanted to sit down in the middle of that airport and wait for him to come back and find me because I just didn't know if I was going to make it to the gate. Well, needless to say, I'm, we made it home, and I knew I needed to do something. And when I went to the doctor... He said, well, I could continue to take pain medication, or he could give me shots in my knees, or he could refer me to an orthopedist for knee replacement. And that sounded like a possibility, although I wasn't anxious to have surgery. But the kicker was, he said, I would have to lose 70 pounds first. And wow. That, that oh, just to get the, the knee replacement. Right. Yeah, there was... There was a similar situation like that for me, too. Um, I was trying to get, like, I wanted to get the sleep apnea, uh, the surgery, you know, so I could get my stomach stapled and all that stuff. And and they were telling me I would have to lose weight. To, no, actually, they said I had to be a certain weight to get that surgery. So what I started thinking is I should eat more so I could hit that weight so I could get that surgery. But what I found out is while I was trying to eat to that point, I kept getting sicker and sicker, and I felt so horrible. And, and, and I had a sleep apnea surgery where they sew your tongue to the bottom of your, 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 they sew your tongue down so that your uvula doesn't suffocate you and the fat doesn't roll back to the your throat. And um, I was still, that snoring surgery didn't work. I was still snoring like Bert uh, rolling the house down. Wow. Um, so what happened for you, Phil? Um, what uh, eventually happened was uh, after I got, I, I did the sleep apnea uh, test where they, 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 they brought me in there and they said, uh, you get to see, this is how many times your, your, your 
breath stops when you're sleeping. They said, basically, it's like you're living your life underwater. I would constantly fall asleep all the time. People thought I had narcolepsy. And what I eventually I had to do is I had to change the whole life up. My mom had passed away from uh, a heart attack, congestive heart failure, having to do with being overweight. Um, I had my relatives, uh, they had to get, a, you know, they got their legs amputated from diabetes related stuff. So I, I thought my mom died at 50. I thought I was next and I was headlong towards that thing. But what happens is for me, luckily, um, you were speaking about different programs and things like that that people get involved with. And I was able to see, like, if I could stop, like, drinking and doing other other stuff, I would lose weight. But then eventually I had to, to look and see that my eating had to change. And once I started doing that, then it was the beginning. Because once I started, you know, starting to do that and get involved with that, I started noticing that people would, you know, you need you need a... What is it called? You, it, I'm a school teacher, and in a school teacher situation, they always says it takes a village. And for me, it takes a whole bunch of different people to come together, nutritionists, uh, you know, therapists, all these different things. And, you know, by doing these things and getting involved with uh, various different programs that uh, talked about, like, getting healthy, I was able to really switch it up. Oh, that's so cool. And when did you lose the weight? Um, it started at 2008 is when I began my journey. I didn't turn. <laughs> um, that's when I started beginning to lose the weight, started to, to get a food plan, started to stick to that, um, started getting involved with programs and things like that. But then um, right around 2012 is when I became vegan. And in fact, I'll, I got to plug, I got to plug Main Street Vegan here because <laughs> I remember uh, meeting you at a sort of a book thing. And um, you said, hey, I'm writing a book on veganism. And I was like, oh, I, I, I could be interested in veganism. I was always listening to Morrissey and the Smiths and stuff like that. And he was a big vegan. So I was just like, I would like to do that kind of stuff. I said, I'll read your book. And by the time I get to the end of it, I'll see maybe I might want to do a vegan thing. And then, you know what, five pages in, you, you didn't, you weren't pushy, you weren't telling me what to do, you're just sharing your experience, strength, and hope in, in this book. And I was just like, yo, you're just doing the research so that I wouldn't have to, like, bust my chops trying to do this research. And it was really making me, like, rethink the whole game. Wow. Well, that is really cool. And I didn't know you were going to say that. So it was not a planted question. But <laughs> Sorry. Thank you. I, I and, <laughs> now, one good book deserves another. So Esther, From Donuts to Potatoes, My 366-Day Journey on a Plant-Based Diet. How did you get from finding Dr. McDougall, which we don't know yet how you found him, uh, to becoming a published author? Well, it happened, it's kind of an interesting story. I was sitting in the hot tub one day, and this woman said to me, after being on his program for about a little over a year, she said, you need to start a group on Facebook. And I said, no. I said, all people need to do is watch the vegan movies, you know, get educated, and uh, I just need to refer people to the right place. That's all. She said, no, you need to start a group. Well, so I started a group on Facebook. Finally, I thought, okay, I'll, I'll listen. So I started Esther's Nutritional Journey, and little by little, people started joining me. And part of my way of supporting and encouraging people was to write a word every day. So I'd ask for inspiration for a word and um, then expound on that word and put that in my journey every day. Well, then I started hearing people say, well, you, know, you need to write a book. So the easiest way to do that was in January of last, of, yeah, we're in 2000. 
21 now, last year, January, I uh, decided, well, all I have to do is go back on Facebook and retrieve all of the words that I had already posted there. So that's how I came up with my journey. And it was a very simple way to make a book in a very quick period of time. Oh, it's a lovely book. I love day books. I wrote a day book once too, Younger by the Day, but I'm reading yours this year because it's a brand new year and, and it's just it's really enchanting and there's so much personality in your writing. Tell people where the title came from, from donuts to potatoes. Oh, this is great. Well, in 1987, my father gave me a coupon to a donut shop here in Sacramento. And so on my way to work, I stopped by to redeem the coupon, got the donuts and went to work. Well, gosh, they were really good donuts. So I started making it a daily habit. I would just go by the donut shop every day, pick up my coffee and donut and go to work. But one day when I went to throw away the bag, there was a note inside. And the note inside was from the owner of the donut shop saying he wanted to meet me. And so two and a half years later, we were married. So oh I married gracious. Oh, that's I married. amazing. And we have seen each other every day since. It's over 3,000 days now, I think. But anyway, long story short, I fell in love with the donut maker and we got married and we continued eating donuts and, you know, we just kind of continued that lifestyle until I made the switch. And so one night I was just thinking about, well, what could I call the um, book? And the idea came to me, well, we switched from donuts to potatoes. <laughs> so the donuts reflect our love story and the potatoes reflect our love story with Dr. McDougall. Who oh, that's so beautiful. <laughs> now, Dr. McDougall is the great celebrant of the potato, and a lot of people aren't, and a lot of people that are thinking about losing weight are thinking, potatoes? I shouldn't be eating potatoes. So give us your take on the Honorable Spud. Oh, it's wonderful. It's, it's my new meat, and it's just wow. wonderful. So when I plan a meal, a few, like, in fact, just before the show started, I ate a whole pound of potatoes, a whole pound and I eat them every day. You can eat any kind you want and any amount you want, and sweet or regular or russet or gold. Or, there's so many varieties to choose from. And I love, love, love my potatoes. They're my mainstay. And then I throw a little fruit on there and little vegetables and beans and rice, and I'm good to go. And I've become a vegan in the process. So that's the real <laughs> bonus of all this is because... I didn't even know about animals. I didn't even know about what goes on in the industry. I had no clue about, well, I didn't have any clue about whole food plant-based either, but I certainly never dreamed what I would be doing in addition to that for the environment, for our planet, for the animals. And now I say, no animal has to die so I can live. That's so beautiful. Wow. And. I know for both of you, there is a spiritual component in, in your weight loss journeys. So, Phil, do you want to go first on that? Definitely. Um, I would definitely say that from from doing this thing, I had to really connect with, with a relationship with God for me. Um, I know a lot of people do it in a lot of different ways, but it had to reconnect for that. You know what? I was brought up uh, Catholic, and originally I had all these preconceptions of what I was brought up with, you know, going to Catholic school and things like that. But this... You know, this journey that I was going on, um, it, it gave me a chance to really reflect, meditate, a lot of praying to God, being able to speak to God clearly with my own voice, and also a lot of meditation, listening to God, and, and uh, 
doing a lot of reading, doing a lot of spiritual journeying and, and talking to a lot of other people that have had similar journeys, you get to really, to really get to learn to trust God for me. And, and it, it really just, am I doing the right thing? Am I, am I making the next right logical step? And you know, it, it really works. It really does. That's beautiful. Yeah. And Esther? Well, yeah, what's so exciting to me is that I, too, was raised uh, in a Christian home, and I had all of the precepts. I knew all the rules and all of that. But it really wasn't until I came into unity that I came to the realization that God was within me, not out there in the cloud somewhere. Mm-hmm. And that was so empowering. And that whole journey has helped me so much realize the empowerment we have within, and we can draw on that any time. And I don't talk about this part of my spirituality very much, but I tell you, it's just mind-boggling. And I, you know, I look back to the Old Testament when Daniel had this fast where he gave up all the king's food, you know, and he became so strong from doing that. And then I thought, if this is the right way for him to eat to be so strong, and if this is the best way for pregnant women to eat, and why would we not want to keep refining our life? Why would we not, if this is the vessel, you know, our bodies, then why would we not want to make it the best we can? So the journey is one of just refinement. In fact, refinement was my word today in my journey on Facebook. But, you know, that's what it's all about is just becoming more and more and more what we can be, whatever that is. That's beautiful. Do you see a connection, Phil, between the way you eat and your spiritual life? Uh, definitely. Uh, in, in, in back in the days, I used to just trying to eat anything. I was just like eating garbage, trying to fit everything into this. But what I really had was a hole in my soul that I need to fill with more nourishing things. Like, you know, like it's like if you're eating trash, if you're reading trash, if you're listening to trash or stuff, that's that's all these things you will theoretically be trash. But if you start, you know, reading some more spiritual stuff, listening to more spiritual stuff, checking out things, putting good, healthy food in you, it's going to it's gonna soothe your soul. It's going to get you closer to the main source, which I believe is God. That's beautiful. So Esther, give us a key strategy to maintain your commitment to part from the donuts and stick with the potatoes. What's the main thing for you? Well, the main thing for me was I was in a desperate situation because, you know, I had sleep apnea too, and I had GERD, and I had diverticulitis, and I had bipolar, and I had, uh, um, oh, so many things, uh, pre-diabetes, high blood pressure, but all of those things didn't make me know that I was sick. I just thought I was fat, and so once I started following that plan, I started getting more and stronger and stronger and realizing that that this was the way to go, you know. So for me, the motivation came from within because I felt so much better. I had energy and I had purpose and I had, it's like my whole life woke up at 72 years of age as I progressed on this. So I think the strategy is, first of all, I think it has to come from within. I think you have to believe this is the best way for us, not just to follow a diet to lose weight. I think you have to own it. And then when you own it, you can do it. And then the more you do it, the more you are self-motivated and you don't have to depend on so many sources outside of yourself to encourage you because it it comes every day. Lovely. So I'm going to ask a question of Phil, but then I'm going to give each of you a little bit of, of a warning. I would love it if you would each ask the other 
a question. So while you're thinking about that, I'm going to ask you, <laughs> Bill, how can people stop from being discouraged? You know, a lot of people, it's like I've made this same resolution for 17 years and mm -hmm. sometimes it kind of sort of works and sometimes it doesn't work at all. And here I am doing it again. Let's lift people up. Let's have some inspiration. Well, the, the thing that I found out is that the way to be able to get through these things is by looking at the wisdom of having a good network of people around you, people that that understand this. When I first came into the the vegan game, as it were, um, I, I would run into these people and they were always like, come over to my house and see what I'm cooking. And I would look and see what they're doing, seeing how they're eating and seeing how they're living and want to emulate that. And it's just like, with spirituality, if you uh, check out good spiritual things and you see how other people are living spiritually, and that's a way for you to want to take the good aspects of those things and take those things within yourself. Same thing with what people are cooking or what people are making. I'm doing a lot of research all the time on all, how people are living. And I want to emulate, and not just here and people that are here now, but also people throughout the past, people that you might admire that might be interested in this thing or that thing, do read read biographies, read all these things. And there's so much stuff online that you want to check out. And whether it's cooking, whether it's whether it's cooking, spiritual mind, body, and spirit, they're all the different things. You want to make sure that you're balanced on all those things. Beautiful. Okay. Esther, have you come up with a question for Phil? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, how did you learn about this at such an early age? Oh, you are so, it's so funny. When, when, I, came, when I came into this, um, I was just turning 40 and uh, my mom, you know, died at 50 and I thought I was going to be a goner. And what happens is all the people I've run into, I run into people in their, in their 60, late 60s, 70s and earlier. And they're saying that their life had just begun. And I was just like, What? And, and you have to seek them out, you know, wherever I would go. I remember I was doing um, a painting thing where I was teaching people how to paint. I'm an art teacher. Um, one of the things I was teaching how to paint. And I saw there was a woman and she was in her 80s and she was sitting in the far side of the room. I ran over to her just to talk to her and find out what she'd been through, what she'd seen. Now, uh, I was teaching up in Harlem to be able to, I said, you know, tell me about what it was like back in, in in the days and like you know back in Harlem people were wearing suits and ties and things like that and she and she would just like tell me tell me about her life it, a lot of seeing people seeking them out and say tell me about your life tell me how you're living tell me what's going on and listen and internalize that take what you want beautiful yes beautiful I know so many people my age think that it's too late to start mm -hmm. And uh, so that's what I think has been really helpful and encouraging for me is to demonstrate that it's never too, you're never too old to start. You're never too old to realize that you can get the concepts, you can get educated, you can get support, you know, and it is possible. And my, my brother was an alcoholic by the time he was 21 and mm -hmm. finally he came sober. And I said, how in the world did you make that decision to switch over and he said, well, in one picture over my head, I had a broken marriage. I had a broken uh, business, failed this and failed that. And on the other, the positive side for drinking for him was coming out of his shell and mm. being uh, at ease with himself. And he, he said it wasn't until the, the idea of all the brokenness in his life exceeded the joys he got from drinking that he made that decision. 
And I think I like Dr. Doug Lyle, who says, too, everything is a cost-benefit analysis, every decision we make. And so sometimes it takes a crisis. And just this morning, I heard someone on the TV say, don't let a good crisis go to waste. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. I think everybody would chuckle at that, but addicts would really say, oh, yeah, I get that. Mm -hmm. So... um, uh, let's see, we're going the other way. Phil, <laughs> yes. you have a question for Esther. Matt, Esther, what, what I heard, you talking about the potatoes and stuff like that, you know, because in my brain, I always thought like potatoes, oh, you can't have potatoes, too starchy or this or that. And I'm saying like, what? I, I really want to read your book and check this out. I'm like, are you using olive oil? What's the deal with that? How are you making these potatoes? What's going on with that? You're putting fruit on potatoes? Tell me more about that. <laughs> Oh, the potatoes are wonderful. And Dr. McDougall has written 13, at least 13 books. And one of them is called The Starch Solution. And everything is about the big old potato. And uh, it's, you know, there was a guy named Spud Pitt Taylor. He went on a potato-only diet for a whole year. So the potato has everything we need in it. And you can survive (laughs) just eating potatoes, for crying out loud. So yes, it's it's been uh, it's been bad mouth for so long because you know the way I used to eat a potato was with sour cream and cheese and bacon and chives and cheese. You know you had to doctor it up; it was not good enough. But the more you eat clean, your taste buds actually change, and pretty soon the food you eat is what you crave, and that's the best way for me to have gotten rid of being a, a food addict because. You know, I look at the food now and it's almost like porn or like movies or like anything else. Everything is escalating to get it to be a higher and higher dopamine hit for us. And when we can get back to natural food being enough, it is freedom like you've experienced too. It is wonderful to get that monkey off my back. It just is great. It is great. And there are so many people, like I said in the first segment, who've just said, you know what, just... This is how I am. This is me. All is well. And God bless them all. And yet I am so grateful that that I am free uh, today, yeah. a day at a time from an addiction that just really made my life unhealthy and a lot less fun. So I hope you all have enjoyed today. I have enjoyed it immensely. Uh, Phil DeGene's wonderful uh, TV program is the Checkerboard Kids program. You can find that at checkerboardkids.com. And we know Esther's lovely book, From Donuts to Potatoes, her uh, Facebook group, Esther's Nutritional Journey. So do check all that out. Thanks to Unity Online Radio. God bless. Eat your potatoes. (laughs) Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. I'm Suzanne Giesman, and if you've ever wondered about life after death or if it's possible to connect with a higher consciousness, I invite you to join me for my podcast, Messages of Hope. It's my mission to share with you that our loved ones who have passed are always with us, and we are so very loved. I want to teach you how to live a consciously connected and divinely guided life. Listen here on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network.